The following sermon was delivered by Senior Pastor Reverend Dr. Scott Black Johnston in the sanctuary of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with us every Sunday, in person or on live stream. For details, go to fapc.org. And now, here is Reverend Dr. Scott Black Johnston. Our reading for this morning comes from Psalm 104. Listen now for God's word as it echoes to us from this luminous poem. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty, wrapped in light as with a garment. You stretch out the heavens like a tent. You set the beams of your chambers on the waters. You make the clouds your chariot. You ride on the wings of the wind. You make the winds your messengers, fire and flame your ministers. You set the earth on its foundations so that it shall never be shaken. You cover it with the deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they flee. At the sound of your thunder, they take flight. They rose up to the mountains, ran down to the valleys, to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so that they may not again cover the earth. And you make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills, giving drink to every wild animal. The wild asses quench their thirst. By the streams, the birds of the air have their habitation. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the cattle and plants for people to use to bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the human heart, oil to make the face shine and bread to strengthen the human heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests, the stork has its home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the conies. You have made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows its time for setting. You make darkness and it's night, and it is night when all the animals of the forest come creeping out. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they withdraw and lie down in their dens. People go out to their work and to their labor until evening. O oh Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom, you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Yonder is the sea, great and wide, 
Creeping things innumerable are there, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan that you formed to sport in it. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Psalm 104 is a wild, giddy song, a happy carol celebrating the natural world. Again and again, the psalm points with with childlike wonder at God's ways of caring for creation. In Psalm 104, streams of water flow down mountainsides to slake the thirst of wild donkeys. Vines yield fat grapes for human wine presses. Trees unfurl their branches and cradle the nests of storks. God dances through this landscape, propping up rocks to fashion granite lean-tos for rabbits and listening with compassion as young lions yowl for their supper. Perhaps they yowl for rabbits. (laughs) Above it all, the psalmist croons. The author of all that is loves this world. And then the psalmist beckons to us. Look at the natural world. Study it and you cannot fail to see the imprint of God. Yonder is the sea, great and wide, creeping things innumerable are there, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan that you formed to sport in it. There's joyful reverence in this verse. There's an invitation here for us to pause, contemplating the leap of a whale, marveling at at the thunderclap that sounds when the tremendous creature belly flops back into the ocean. Let each gleeful splash call to your soul. Open yourself to one who has formed this stunning creature for such happy sport. This fall, we are going to focus on faith and creation. We're going to consider together questions like, how does God relate to nature? What is good about the created order? How are we to understand death and destruction in creation? Nature red of tooth and claw. Who are we in relationship to the rest of creation? What does it mean that God calls us to be stewards? What moral responsibility do we have to care for the planet? What does environmental justice look like? Yes, we will get to ethics. We will consider their complexity and cost 
and we will suggest actions, concrete things that we can do to embody God's love for creation. We will talk about how to make a difference without small-minded shaming. You just used a plastic straw. You must be a terrible person. No, this fall we plan to go deep to pursue a holy strategy for creation care. But it starts, though, it starts not with environmental horror stories, although there are plenty of those. And it starts not with ethical scolding, but with the foundation for all ethics. It starts with Scripture's invitation to see. It starts with the Psalm's invitation to attend to creation, to contemplate the world, to sit quietly and look upon the marvels that God has called good. Why this focus on contemplation? Senegalese environmentalist Baba Diom put it beautifully, I think, when he observed, we won't save a place we don't love, and we won't love a place we don't know. We won't save a place we don't love. And we won't love a place we don't know. Knowing, my friends, is a precursor to loving. The decision to care about plastic straws and other non-biodegradable things, which actually is important, begins not with shame, but with love. And what's more, I'm confident this is not news to you. Two weeks ago, as Jonah mentioned, I sent out an email asking this congregation to pen a few sentences describing a place in nature that was important to you as a child. Family of faith, I have never in all my years of ministry received so many responses to an email question. It's above 200 now. Within an hour of the email being sent, my inbox started chiming and it just kept chiming for days. You wrote beautifully and passionately. You told stories, love stories, about your relationship with the world. You found holy ground at church camps and on an island in the middle of a pond. You reminisced about strolling through fields and rock hopping along creek beds. You recalled staring into tidal pools at, at tiny crabs, wading in cool lake waters, riding along in the back of a pickup truck as tall corn stalks whizzed by and the wind tossed your hair. You waxed eloquent about picking hazelnuts, fishing with grandparents, building forts in the woods, weeding gardens, climbing trees, and listening for meadow larks while working in a field thinning sugar beets. One of our virtual members, Tom Wesley, who's here today for homecoming, offered this reflection. 
The Philmont Scout Ranch in Cimarron, New Mexico sits amid the Sangre de Cristo range of the Rocky Mountains. My father was one of two adults leading 12 boys on a 100-mile backpacking trek. On 9,000-foot terrain, I'd never been closer to heaven. After darkness fell, on our fifth night on the trail, my dad had been informed by park rangers that Apollo 11 had just successfully landed on the moon. We lay on the ground and stared at the waxing crescent moon on that crystal clear night for I don't know how long. We remained mostly quiet as, as no words could ever fully express the magnificence of that moment. I'm amazed at how many times this recollection has wrapped me like a warm blanket and brought me peace. Folks, your memories of the natural world were vivid, grounded, sacred. And many of you concluded by saying, Thank you, Scott, for this exercise. I needed to think about this. In fact, so many of you ended your emails in that fashion that I started to wonder, why do we need to be prodded to revisit our love for precious places? How did they become distant to us? Have we lost touch with the natural world? a world that many of us knew best as unencumbered, wide-eyed children. I read an interesting statistic this past week. Did you know that Americans, on average, spend 87% of every day indoors? And when we go out of doors, we spend almost 50% of our time inside a bus or a car or on a train. Now, I like a roof over my head as much as the next person, but I was stunned by these statistics. Is it possible that we now, on average, spend only 6% of every day outside? <laughs> yes, says the magazine Nature. And at the same time, Nature notes, the average American now spends over 10 hours a day consuming some sort of digital media. My friends, these statistics are not healthy. They are not spiritually healthy. They are not physically healthy. Have you heard of blue zones? Anybody out there heard of that, that phrase, blue zones? See a few hands. Over the last 20 years, National Geographic magazine and a team of gerontologists have studied five areas in the world where people live the longest. They have the highest percentage of people over 100. These five areas are Sardinia, Italy, Icaria, Greece, Nicoya, Costa Rica, Loma Linda, California, and Okinawa, Japan. Researchers have dubbed these five areas the Blue Zones. 
And it will not surprise you that the, the people who live in these five widely dispersed geographic areas share a set of habits that contribute to their longevity. Each of these communities are friend and family centered. People spend a lot of time with friends and family every day. Each of these communities are unusually religious. So you got that going for you. <laughs> they follow different faiths, but the inhabitants of these areas all participate regularly in communities of religious practice. Third, and your doctor's been telling you this forever, they eat diets that are fruit and vegetable focused. And fourth, and this fourth thing is actually the strongest correlation um, between the five areas where the longest lived people in the world exist, they all spend a lot of their days outside, weeding gardens, tending vines, moving their bodies, being enveloped by God's creation. The natural world, says the psalmist, it cares for us. The, the earth brings forth food for your plate and wine for your glass and, and exercise and solace for your body. The natural world teaches us too. It schools us in the goodness of God. Today's psalm invites us to contemplate whales leaping in the waves. Fourth century mystics spoke of the desert as their teacher opening them to the mystery of Christ. The, the wild world has long been revered by the faithful as a landscape dotted with signposts that point to God. In his book, The Blue Sapphire of the Mind, Notes for a Contemplative Ecology, Doug Christie describes the spiritual lives of early Christian mystics. Time spent outside filled these women and men with a sense of wonder. The Holy One is here. They felt God's presence more keenly in the wilderness than they'd ever felt it before. And this sense, this spiritual confidence stirred up reverence in the mystics and awe for the beautiful and a deep compassion for all that is broken and torn in the world. This past summer, I spent a lot of time outside. We, we have a, a set of beavers that are building a dam near our dock and just fascinating. We kept being down by the dock and somebody in the family would be like, it's the beaver, come down, it's the beaver. <laughs> Amy watched at one point when the, when, when the beaver, we think it was the mom, went underwater and into the den, and then we heard this kind of like high-pitched chirping inside and wondered whether it was good or bad, you know, the, what, whether the children were getting a lecture or just, it was just a happy greeting for mom. I also spent a lot of time this summer reading naturalists. I'm talking about gifted observers of nature, people like Henry David Thoreau and the Scottish wanderer John Muir, Annie Dillard, 
Margaret Rankle. I, I also read the works of a naturalist you may not know, Sigurd Olson. Olson is revered in northern Minnesota as the environmentalist whose writings and actions were influential in establishing the Boundary Waters Canoe Area, a one million acre national preserve of glacial lakes, forests, rivers, streams, a place that's precious to me. Olson spent a good bit of his life adventuring through the land of sky blue waters. And I want to conclude today by reading you a couple of paragraphs from his book, The Singing Wilderness. Once, when camped on a rocky point along the Canadian border, with the moon at full and my tent pitched in the light of it, I was lying in my sleeping bag, tent flaps open, studying the effect of, of pine needles etched against the night sky. Suddenly, I was aware of a slight rustle, as though some small animal was trying to climb the silken roof of the tent. And then I saw in shadow that it was a mouse scrambling desperately up the edge of the sidewall. For a moment there, it hesitated. And then, to my amazement, the mouse launched itself out into space and slid down the smooth and shining surface of the tent to the ground below. This action was repeated many times until the little animal became an expert and reckless and lost no time between the climb back and the sheer abandon of the slide. Faster and faster it ran, intoxicated now by its new and thrilling experience. Up along the edge, straight toward the center of the ridge rope, a swift leap, belly down, legs spread wide to get the full effect of the exhilarating toboggan it had found, a slide of balloon silk straight to the needle strewn ground below. I watched the game, Olson writes, for a long time. As I lay there, I became convinced that the mouse was enjoying itself hugely, that I was witnessing an activity that had no purpose but pleasure. I thought as I lay there in my sleeping bag that if nothing else, moonlight made animals and people forget for a while the seriousness of living and that there are moments when life could be good and I knew that if humans could abandon themselves as my dear mouse had done and slide down the face of the earth in the moonlight once a month or once a year, perhaps it would be good for their souls. Look at the world, Psalm 104 says. How can you not love it? Look at the oceans wide and see Leviathan who was formed to sport in those waters. Look at moonlit forests with a mouse sliding down the silk of a tent over and over with obvious joy. These vistas invite us into the heart of God. Here, 
says our tradition is good, worth contemplating, worth praising, worth doing our utmost to preserve. May God bless you, my friends, with precious places where stars wink in the mountain air, where whales cavort in the open sea, and mice slide down tent flaps over and over and over, places where you can witness the joyous good in creation. And may these vistas fill you with love, open you to God, and inspire you to acts of compassion. For we won't save a place that we don't love. And we can't love a place that we don't know. Amen and amen. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and given you a measure of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you would like to make a donation to support this audio ministry, please visit fapc.org give. Thank you and blessings to you on this day.